My privilege and opportunity to be with you this morning when a pastor me the way. I'm happy for the opportunity to share God's word with you, to let God speak to our hearts and to be participating in this service. I love to hear our pastor preach, and I know that when he's away, it makes a difference as we come together to, to know, well, who, who's going to speak? Who's going to bring God's word to us? And I'm grateful for the, that he asked me to be here this morning. If we think back, you know, over the days of our existence here in Wichita, it was 17 years ago this month on January, on July the 2nd, when our people gathered together and, con and constituted as a church. It was the beginning of a church in this northwest part of Wichita. Our goal was to evangelize to the people, to reach out with the gospel to the those who needed to know the Lord, that they might come to see him and to know him. And out of that has come fruit just recently as we see young men in our church surrendering to the ministry, giving their hearts in response to God's call to their lives, recognizing that they too have a mission to fulfill. And we see our young people following the Lord and giving their lives and the tremendous experience they had when they went to camp for those who made commitment of their lives and we're seeing the, seeing the fruit of what was decided 17 years ago when a group, group of people, some 45, 50 people, said we are here to proclaim the gospel in this portion of the city. And we thank God for those who have come to be with us in making it possible for Christ to be known and lift uplifted. And so we want to uplift him this morning to make him known so the people will know that we worship the Lord Jesus and that he is the one to whom our hearts are devoted and we seek to follow him. We're going to do it the old-fashioned way this morning. We don't have the, the, uh, pin, uh, the PowerPoint, but we do have the scripture. We have the Bibles in our hands, and I know that you have your Bible with you. And if you do so, would you turn, please, to John's Gospel, chapter 10. John's Gospel, chapter 10. Good to hear the rustle of the pages as you turn the pages. Rustle of the leaves. All right. If you, would, if you would, if you're willing and you're able and you wish to honor God's word, maybe stand together as we read this portion of the scripture, beginning of John's gospel, chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep bend by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his sheep, his own sheep by name, and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow the stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them, and I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
The hired man, the hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this pen, sheep pen. I must bring them also that they too will listen to my voice, and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the ravings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? May we pray together. Father, as we come before you this morning, it is with fear in our own hearts to know that while we stand here to proclaim your word, yet, Lord, the responsibility of what is said is in your hands. And we trust you, Lord, by your spirit to impress upon our hearts that which we need to know. We thank you, Lord, your promise was that if I be lifted up, speaking of Jesus, I will draw all men unto me. And so, Lord, today we pray by your grace to uphold Jesus, to let him be seen, that people will know that he is the one, he is the shepherd, he's the one we need to follow, that he has the words of life, and that he speaks these words to us, that we might enjoy that life. Experience, Lord, your forgiveness, and the new life that Christ brings to us. We look to you now and trust you for these blessings, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In a day of broad-mindedness, political correctness, and multiple choices that in the area of the many areas of life, it seems all most proportionate that we would make and suggest and even claim that Jesus is the only shepherd that he is the one through whom we can find salvation, that he is the one who came to die for our sins and give himself upon the cross that we might know him and experience the forgiveness of our sins. Haven't you heard it said that all ro roads lead to Rome or that we're all trying to get there and that you have to be sincere or at least to, reduce, to, try, to, make your, to neighbor, try to make your neighbor free? free? So we think sometimes that people who are trying to make it way, the way to heaven, find other ways than to find it through the Lord Jesus, who is the shepherd. And so I'm asking you this morning a question. Is Jesus the only door? In the scripture we read here that Jesus said that he was the gate, or other scriptures say he is the door. Is Jesus the only door? Because people are looking in various ways in which to find the entrance to life, to find salvation. But are they doing it by the ways of which Jesus proclaimed for us? Is he the one who is drawing us to himself or others, others should we be looking for? John the Baptist asked this question when he was in prison and he saw what was happening to his life after he had witnessed for Christ 
and told of Jesus coming to be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And John, in his prison experience, sent messengers to the disciples, and he asked the question, are you the one we are looking for, or should we be looking for someone else? And so the question is this morning is a valid question. Is Jesus the only door? Is he the one that we are looking for? And as we ask that question, then if Jesus is not the door, if he's not the one to whom we should look, then to whom should we look for salvation for life? Now, what does the door represent? Think about this. What does the door represent? Jesus said it twice in this passage of scripture, that he was the door of the sheepfold, that he was the one, he was the gate through whom people came, and sheep came, and that they might find life. Well, a door is a place of entrance because a door separates from that which is in and that which is out. It's the means of access to a person or to a place or a thing. And when we come to a door, we recognize that there are some people on one side and other people on the outside. And the door separates us, but the door can be opened and we can have access together and fellowship together when the barrier is removed between us and the opening is made for us. Or a door is also provides protection. A door provides protection from the elements from the cold and from the heat, from the storms of life. We close our doors at night and during the daytime where the weather is inclement and we look to our protection because the door is there and provides help for us in the midst of that situation. A door also provides for protection from intruders, from thieves, from thugs, from murderers. We find there's a barrier and it represents safety and privacy within our homes. And we lock our doors at night. Now, we lived in a community for a while where people didn't lock the doors, but they do now because the cities have grown beyond their borders, and those people who once were a threat to citizens within the city now go out into the communities, into the surrounding countryside. And people are learning to lock the doors and to know that that is the place that needs to provide protection for them. But there are some pseudo-doors, too. There are some phony doors. I've been to some houses where you come up to a door and instead of just being a single door, there's a double door, one door and another door beside it. And you wonder at first when you knock on the door or ring the doorbell, which door is going to open? Well, one door might open and then the other door is just a pseudo door. It's just there for decoration. It's just for, for, the, for, the, for the decoration of the place. So we, sometimes we find that these doors lead nowhere. They are there for, for interest, but perhaps they, play, they play, give the wrong way, the wrong direction, the wrong direction. So sometimes there are doors to avoid when we come to a door. It might be a door that has labeled on it warning, or a door that says do not enter, or a door that says enter at your own risk, or a door that provides nothing place to go. I remember as a child in our home, we had a basement to our house, but as we but, and we had a stairway that went down from the kitchen into the, into the basement. But the stairway went directly down. The first step from the kitchen was down the next step, down to the basement. And there was a door there, and that door was there to protect us from falling down the stairway, from taking a misstep, taking a step that would lead to destruction or to help, rather than being a benefit to us. So when we come to the place of spiritual things in our lives, sometimes we realize that there are doors to enter and there are doors to avoid. 
There are doors that are of benefit to us that lead to life, and there are doors that lead to destruction. Jesus said there were two ways of life. There's a pathway, a narrow pathway that leads to life, but a broad road that leads to destruction. And Jesus warned against that road because those who follow that road are turned from him and do not find the life that they might have otherwise anticipated or searched for. But Jesus is the means of access to God. As we look in this scripture this morning, this is what Jesus is swaying when he says that I am the door. I am the door of the sheepfold. I am the means by which sheep can enter in and be saved. He's talking about our salvation. He's talking about our relationship with God. And when we come to Jesus, we're wondering, is he the one who leads us to life? Is he the one who leads us to the salvation that he speaks of? Jesus is the means of access to God. He is the door to him. Jesus reminds us in the word of the scriptures that when we look to him, for he said, this is my, this is my father, this is my, Jesus' father said to him, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. So we are to listen to Jesus as he speaks to us and to understand what he says. And Jesus said, this is a testimony that God gives to us eternal life, and this life is in his son. So when God sends forth his son to us, he wants us to hear him. When Jesus was with the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, there Jesus appeared before his disciples in all his glory. And remember what the disciples said, Lord, this is a wonderful place. We need to build a tabernacle here. And then the voice was heard from heaven. This is Jesus. This is my son, my beloved son. Hear ye him. Their focus was not to be on something that was to be established there on the mountaintop, but rather to focus on the fact that Jesus as God's son was the one to whom they need to listen, to whom they need to look for life and for salvation. When he speaks of Jesus being the door here of the sheepfold, it uses the definite article. He is the door. There are not other doors. There's only one door that the sheep follow. There's only one door through which the shepherd leads his people to find security and pasture and salvation. So he's talking about the fact that he is that door. He's the one who leads people to come to life and salvation, the door. And this door excludes all others being the one and the only door. It's the door of access. It is also the door of a relationship with the Father. For Jesus said in John chapter 14 that no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus saying those who want to come to the Father must come through me because I am the means by which people come and experience the Father's life. And Jesus said to his disciples, if you've, seen the if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So that Jesus is the, is the proclamation, he is the one, he is the revelation of the Father. And in bringing Christ to us, we see the Father also. And we can know God because of whom Jesus is. He is the one who brings us to it. And so because, also because Jesus is the means of access to God, because he brings to us eternal life. He brings to us the life of Christ and the life of God that we might know him. In 1 John chapter 5 and verses 12, we read that Jesus said, then this is the witness that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. John paints in broad streaks of black and white 
There's no gray area in John's writing in his epistle and in his letters to the church. But rather he says, this is, this is, the, this is what we need to know. Jesus is the only way. He's the one by whom we come to the Father. He's the one by whom we experience life through salvation. He's the one who sent his son to be the, the sacrifice for our sins, the Lamb of God, giving his life for us, bringing us into salvation with himself. So in the sheepfold then, in the sheepfold, in verses 7 to 9, this represents salvation. To know Christ is to know life. To know Christ is to know the Father. To know Christ is to secure a place in heaven. Jesus with his disciples in John 14 also said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus speaks of the fact that not only in this life, but in the life to come, that is, it's only through the access of knowing him, through him being the door, that we have that access into his life. He is the sheepfold. He is the door. He comes to give us life. In Acts 4.12, the disciples in preaching about this Jesus who had been crucified and who had risen now from the dead, were saying, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name given among men under earth, under heaven, whereby we must be saved. He is the door. He is the salvation. He is the life. He's the one who brings us to us. But not only is Jesus the door, Jesus is our assurance of salvation. For he protects us. He protects us. He protects us from the ravages of sin and from the wrath of God. For in John 3.36, Jesus said, to know him is to know life. And he says, to those who do not have the Son, do not have life, but the wrath of God abideth on them. You see, apart from the protection that Christ gives to us, there is no salvation. There is no relief from judgment. The judgment is there upon us because of our sin against God. So he is the assurance of our salvation. He's the one who brings us into fellowship with the Father. And we can stand before the Father unashamed and unembarrassed with confidence because we know that our sins can be forgiven through the death of Jesus, through the sacrifice that he made for us and the giving, shedding of his blood. We have that salvation through him. And we look to him for that. He is our protection. So if you were to die today, to whom would you go? What door would you enter? What door would you hope to enter if you do not enter the door by which Jesus provides salvation? You see, if you seek some other door, you do not know where that door might lead. If you seek some other door, you might be a door that is, is a false door. If you leave, seek some other door, you might find that this is not a door that provides the way of salvation that Jesus promised to those who followed him. But if you stand before God, then I ask you this morning, then whom, if you, what door would you enter and where would you seek to find salvation if not in Christ, in him alone? So he is the one. He is our assurance of our salvation into heaven. What would you say then when you stand before God? You stand before him, what assurance would you have that he would let you into his heaven? If you stand before him, what assurance would you have to know that, he would be, that you would be accepted and brought before him? Because our assurance comes from believing God's word, what God tells us about his son. God said, hear my son, 
Listen to him because he has the words of eternal life. He is the one who directs us that we might know him. The Bible is clear in this, in showing to us that from Scripture that our salvation is by faith in Christ, that he is God's son. We're familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And this life is in Jesus. To know him is to know life. God gave his one and only son. He is the one who died for us. He's the one who shed his blood for us. He's the one who took our place. And in his taking our place, he took our sins upon himself that we might be freed from, our, from the judgment of our sins, from the condemnation, from the guilt of our sins, that we might know him and experience the cleansing that he provides to us. To us. The scripture tells us that when we confess our sins to him, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is through his cleansing that we stand unembarrassed, without shame, in the presence of Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. In Romans 5, 8, he tells us that he died for us, that Jesus died for us when he said that God demonstrates his love for us in this, where that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, there's no need for us to be seeking to prepare our way in order to come to Christ. Simply to come to him and to acknowledge our sin, to acknowledge that we have failed, to acknowledge that we have been rebellious against him, that we refuse to follow his way, to come to acknowledge our sin in that sense, we come to receive what he has for us, the cleansing, the forgiveness, the acceptance that Christ offers to us when we give ourselves to him. And so we, we think and we see what he has done. But then we need to appropriate what God has done for us. To confess our sins is one step, but it is not the actual step. It's not the actual step of receiving life. Because you might confess your sins, you might acknowledge you're a sinner without ever putting your faith and your trust in Jesus, you see. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto him. And we lift him up so that you might see him, that he is the one to whom we need to turn. But then to, re to receive him means that you accept what he has done for you in his death and in his resurrection. That you receive that for yourself and you see that he, had died, that he died for you personally and that you are asking him then to be Lord in your life, to come and to dwell in your heart, to cleanse you from your sin, to give you salvation, to give you life. And so we receive him, we appropriate him to make him known in our lives. In our lives. When I was a child, <clears throat> We lived not far from Niagara Falls. My home was in Toronto, Canada. We often went to the falls for their various times during the summertime when we could go. But you know, Niagara Falls has been a, an attraction and a destination for many, for many people for various reasons. Many people there go there to celebrate a wedding or to celebrate a wedding anniversary. So there have been those who have tried to, to do outstanding things in, in uh, Niagara Falls, like going over the falls in a barrel. There have been many, a number of people who have done that. Some have lost their lives in doing so. Others have survived, merely by the skin of their teeth, so to speak. But they've, they've gone over to show that they can, they can challenge the, that mighty cataract of water and still survive as a result of it. But the story is told of one who was a tightrope walker. 
And he would had a he had stretched a, a line from the American side to the Canadian side, and he was going to walk across this tightrope. And so he did so, and he successfully made it across and back. And the people cheered because of what he had done, what they had seen him do. And then he said, now I'm going to take a wheelbarrow, and I'm going to wheel this wheelbarrow across this tightrope to the other side. And he did so. And again, he, with success, people cheered and, went and applauded his efforts. Now he said, do you believe that I, could that I could take someone in this wheelbarrow and roll this wheelbarrow across this tightrope to the other side? And the people said, yes, we believe you could do it. Then he said, where's a volunteer? <laughs> As I understand, no one under, under, uh, volunteered. Yes, they believed, but they didn't believe. You see how it is, you can say you can believe, it, mentally you can accept a fact and make it a truth in your life, but without committing yourself to what you say you believe, it is not a commitment, it's not a decision. To know Jesus, to know Jesus that he is the savior, yes, you can know that. You can read the scriptures and read for yourself what God has said about his son. You can read and experience and see what others has happened to other people's lives. You may have friends who have trusted in Christ and you have perhaps no doubt about the fact that Jesus truly is God's son. But you've not made a commitment of your life to him. That your, your, your decision has just been mental. It has not been your heart. It's not been your life. You've not given yourself to the Lord. And you see, that's what salvation involves. It means appropriating what you believe to receiving what you have. And this is why the Bible talks about salvation as being a new birth. Because it's not just something that happens in your mind, it's something that happens in your entire being. Because if Jesus said to, to receive him is to experience that new birth, a spiritual birth, in which we be reborn spiritually and we receive the life that Christ has given to us. And this becomes then, the Bible says, we are then in Christ and he is in us. And knowing that relationship between us, there's a union then between us and the Lord Jesus as he comes to indwell our lives to make us to be what, we, what he wants us to be. So then Christ can be seen in our lives. Christ can be, Christ is a reality to us. And we know him in his fellowship as we walk with him day by day, experiencing his life in us, providing for us direction and guidance, forgiveness, and challenging us to a place of service. He calls us to that place when we appropriate him. So salvation is made possible to us by the gift of God, by the grace of God. For the scriptures remind us in Ephesians 2.8 that by grace we are saved by faith. Not of ourselves, but through God's kindness to us. Not through our own effort, but through what Christ has done for us. So yes, Christ is our assurance of salvation. He is the one who has provided for us the means of coming to Christ and receiving what God has for us. But then there are some false doors. There are some false doors, and we mentioned, alluded to them a few moments ago. You see, there's those doors that we have made ourselves, and these are the doors that we want to follow in order that we might stand before God. There's, this, there's the door that is marked self-effort, 
This is the door that, that tells us that if we try hard enough, that we can gain salvation on our own basis. We don't have to trust anybody else or that we don't need anybody else. That we can, by our own effort, we can make ourselves adequate for the meeting which someday when we stand before God. And then so, so doing, we think that through our works, through our worth, through our morality, through, our, through the good that we might try to do, that these are adequate for us to stand before the Lord. But you know, the scripture tells us that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to his grace, to his mercy that he has saved us. God saves us out of his mercy, not because we deserve it, not because we have earned it, not because we are of that worth to him, but because of his grace, his mercy, which God extends to us, his love in wanting to us not to perish, as we see in John 3:16, God doesn't want us to perish, but come and experience the life that he gives to us. And so there is that door of self-effort by which people might seek to enter in. But you know, if you think that you could earn your way of salvation, if you think that you are good enough, that you have all that is necessary, well, how do you know when how much is enough? How do you know when you have achieved enough? How do you know when you have a good enough good marks in order to qualify? You know, sometimes people say, well, the good, good and, the, and, the, and the wrong in my life is going to balance out. Well, at what point do they balance? You see, we don't know that. And it's not possible for us to know because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no way in which we can measure up to what God demands of us. For he commands and he demands righteousness. He demands holiness. The Bible tells us without holiness, no man can see God. Without the cleansing of Christ's blood in your life, you can never experience that standing before God that you can meet him without being ashamed, condemned by your own sin. So there's a false door of self-effort by which we think we might stand before God. But there's also the false door of religion. The false door of religion. Some people think, well, I have religion. I have religion, and this makes me qualified to stand before God. And you may have the rights of the church. You may have been baptized. You may have membership. You may have communion. You may have experienced the mass. You may have gone to confession. All of these things perhaps have their place in the life of an individual, but they are not adequate to provide for you the cleansing and the covering that you need in order to qualify to stand before God. Because there again, all of these are man-made, many of them are man-made institutions which do not provide for the cleansing of our sin. You see, if you could live a perfect life from this day forward, then what would atone for the sin that have already in your past? How do you undo the wrong that is from your past? How do you put aside from the line, from the marks of, your, of sin in your life? You see, but Christ does that when he cleanses us, when he forgives us and brings us into fellowship with himself. He changes us. Well, you say, well, and I believe. I believe in God. I believe in God. But the Bible says the devils believe and, and they tremble at the result of that without having known the experience of cleansing. So you see, there are so many false doors by which people might think to enter into the presence of God. Then there's the other door. There's the door that says, take a chance. Take a chance. I'm just going to take a chance. 
You take a chance, you're going to find that you've taken the wrong chance. How many times have you tried one door and another door, and neither of these doors have provided for you the access into God's presence, into the assurance of his fellowship in your life? So you take a chance, you hope for the best, you hope that something will turn out to the good. But to take a chance is a risk that you can't afford because having taken the wrong chance, you see, there's no going back. There's no, no, no undoing it. We stand before God. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. So judgment then stands at the end of those who go, man, who go into this situation without the assurance of Christ's presence. But then there are those today who make another door and challenge that. And that is the door that just says, just wait, just wait. The door that says, you don't have to hurry. There's no need to rush. There's no need to, to go in, to, to decide this without giving a thought, without giving experimental exchanges in your life. But just to put it off, to put off your decision. But the scripture says that today is the day of salvation. That apart from decision today might be your last opportunity. You may hope for another chance. You may hope for another opportunity. But taking a chance is the risk that you can't afford. So what door are you seeking today? Are you willing to take the door that God has provided? The door that says, I am the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And I am the door that leads to life. I'm the door that provides for the sheep. I'm the door that provides for salvation. I'm the door that brings peace and satisfaction and assurance within your heart and in your life. I'm the door through which you can enter and experience a life that lasts for eternity in coming to know Jesus Christ. He's the door. If you don't enter that door, what door are you going to enter? What door are you looking for? Where are you looking for the hope that God might give to you that only Jesus can provide? And so as we bow our heads here for just a moment and we think about these truths this morning as God speaks to us and seeks to lead us. Where, where are you in relationship with the Lord Jesus? You've come sometimes, you've faced this door and you've seen what others have experienced. You've seen and know what has happened in their lives when they passed through the door that leads to Jesus and found in him the security the salvation it provides. Wouldn't you today make that step, the step that offers you opportunity to trust Christ, to know him as your Lord and Savior, to settle the question once and for all, for when we come to him, then we have a life that lasts for eternity. Father, we pray that in these moments of, get, of decision, Lord, we pray that as people Consider the, the ways of life, the opportunities of life, the doors of life, and the wrong choices. Lord, we pray that they might be saved from that destruction, but coming to know Christ, to receive him, we ask and pray in Jesus' name.